Right. Well, I'm going to open up scripture to Matthew um, chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. And we'll start at verse 7, just going to remind us of what has been the subject matter for the last month. Um, Jesus said, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Now let's pause for a second there. This struck me. I don't know if I've ever heard someone say this before, but where Jesus says, don't say a bunch of words that just comes from your mouth. Don't just go on and on. The Father knows what you need. Pray then like this. And when I'm reading that, I'm realizing this is, Jesus is saying, this is what the Father knows you need, is these pray, these phrases, these prayers. Saying the Father knows what you need, so pray this. Do you see that? So every line of the Lord's Prayer is what the Father knows you need. He knows you need to be reminded your relationship with God, the foundation of everything, every day when you pray, you pray like this, is our Father. He's a Father. He's a good Father. The very first thing is our identity, our relationship with Him. It's not, I'm going to overcome the enemy. It's not, I'm going to bring the kingdom. It's, remember, he's our father. Not just my father. So the very first line is community. And our identity as sons and daughters. We're all a family. And we all have one father. There are leaders and spiritual fathers. But ultimately, Don Finto, at 92 years old, is a son. And you and you and you are sons and daughters. We all have the same father, our father. In Hebrew, it's, it's plural, Eloheinu, our God. So important. And then holy is your name. You're different than everything else. You're more holy. You're separate from all. You are our father but you're holy. You're above everything, beyond everything. And then your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, the kingdom is, the, you break that word down, it's the king's dominion. It's basically, you have authority, you're the king, but you want your dominion to be over everything. You want to bring your kingdom, your king's dominion. You have a plan to take back the earth. Don't you love that? Comes after our Father. And then it's, give us this day our daily bread. So you see this progression. You know who you are in your identity. He's our Father. I'm connected to the rest of the body of Christ globally. I have a huge family. And I'm a son. I'm a daughter. And then he's going to bring his dominion, his rule, his reign, his power all over the earth. And then how does that look? It gets more and more specific. It's like 
He's going to provide for you because he's a father and he has control over everything. He's going to give you your daily bread. He's going to take care of you every day. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Literally, I want you to know you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Your needs will be met every day. You'll be sustained. The bills will get paid. You'll eat food. You'll sleep. And I know there's some people that are struggling all over the earth, but God is a father to the fatherless. I don't understand, but he brings comfort to the most broken places when they know and acknowledge him as father. And then forgive us our debts as we forgive those, our debtors, as we have also forgiven our debtors. This, what we're going to touch on this week, I don't want to go too much in this overview right now, but just there's a progression of we are going to be sustained and then we're going to be renewed and free. All our debts paid. And all those that owe us forgiven. And then he's going to protect us from the tempter. Because the things we need forgiven from are the things the tempter leads us into. And God wants to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the end is for his is the kingdom, the glory forever. The Lord's prayer is what the father wants us to pray. It's because he knows what we need. We need this. So today I want to just touch on forgive us our debts. I'd say that is so small, Todd. How can you take a whole Sunday? I think you should take a whole year on this because this is the gospel. Without this, no one's going to be saved. Without this, those who are saved are never going to walk in holiness and freedom. And without this, we're going to lose our identity and walk in shame and condemnation, and fear of judgment, punishment. We're going to walk the way the enemy wants us to walk, paralyzed. First Peter says the enemy is a roaring lion seeking those he can devour. The strategy of a lion is to roar. Did you know that? The lioness is the one who actually kills the... So be more scared of a lioness in Africa than a lion. But the lion's job is to roar. And the game freezes because the sound and the authority. And, ah! and then the lioness comes and brings lunch to her babies. The enemy's the same. He wants to freeze you in shame and condemnation, accusation. We'll see that. So this is very, very important. Forgive us our debts. Just for some of you who have not read scripture very much or haven't been a believer for years, some have been for decades, and, and you could be teaching all through the whole Bible, but others maybe have not. I don't want to assume anything, so I just want to start with a basic foundation, is God created the world perfect, holy. He was in the Garden of Eden 100%, fully there. Created man and women in his image, 
full fellowship, full connection, no separation. We're getting back to there. Hallelujah. We're going back to the garden. That's the end of the book. By the way, I'll teach you an overview of all of Scripture. I always teach when I teach the Bible, different training schools. But the, the Bible, it's simple. Think about this. The first two chapters, God is with man with no division, full fellowship. The last two chapters of the Bible, same thing. Full fellowship, man and God living together. All the rest of the chapters in the Bible between that is God conquering sin and Satan to get to the garden again. So those, the beginning of our creation was perfect. And then, but the way God shows love is he gives free will. If you have a robot, that's not love. If you control, that's not love. He gave a choice. And even though man had perfect identity, a perfect father, perfect world, no sin, Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve. And therefore, sin came in to the picture. Same temptations that Satan tempted Jesus with. First John, the last author of the Bible. Same temptations, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And it was, there's the battle between, um, is not between, you know, for sin, is not Satan and God. Satan cannot make us sin. The battle, actually, the battle of sin is selfishness and God. And Satan appeals to our own selfishness to get us to sin. That's what temptation, that's all he can do is appeal to our selfishness, selfish desires, our lustful appetites, that we want it the way we want it, when we want it. Our greed, our lust of the eyes, I, I see that, I want it, I want it. And then pride of life, John speaks of boasting what we have and do. Just you're, be great, be all you can be. You're the best. I mean, all good marketing, if you think about it, every good marketing, what sells things is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Satisfy your desires, be fulfilled. Get what you've always dreamed of. Look how beautiful this is. Get it. And you're going to be smart. You're going to be successful. You're going to be beautiful. You're going to be strong. You're going to be envious of everyone. That sells. And those are the temptations. Satan knows it. So man fell. And then man tried to cover himself up. Oh, I was going to pick fig leaves this morning. I forgot. We have a fig tree in the garden I was going to pick some leaves and show you what man tried to cover their sin with, their nakedness, their shame. You know, all sin brings shame. And it's that exposure, that nakedness. And man tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. And they're not super soft if you felt fig leaves. That'd be, it's not super comfortable. And this is funny. I, I always wish I would have brought him, but I'll just have to tell you. You can imagine this. I don't know if you want to imagine it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, we were in Israel on another on a tour. By the way, we do a tour in the spring. Please come; it's fun. Um, but we were on this tour, and then we're talking about Adam and Eve and the fig leaves and the tour guide, you know. And they study just everything, every detail of the scripture, and it's amazing. But he goes, "Did you know what the the fig leaves most? This is what the Jewish scholars think is that they were big back then, like in the Garden of Eden. I can imagine everything was probably bigger in the Garden of Eden." 
So you can imagine that kind of the fig leaf has like three big petals. It has two sides and then one in the middle. And they said it would be, I, he said most scholars, you know, Jewish scholars think it was like a diaper. They wrapped one leaf this way, one leaf this way, and one leaf up over and attached it. Anyway, it's funny when he was showing us. I just wish I had a leaf to show you. Man, that's man's best job at trying to cover sin. And we don't do any better trying to pretend we're okay and self-protect and hide. And God said, I'm going to clothe you with skins from an animal because I love you. And it was the only thing he could do with their sin was innocent bloodshed. He had to kill an animal to clothe them with animal skins. And from then on, when Moses got the law, only thing that atoned for sin, forgave sin, was bloodshed, innocent bloodshed. And every sacrifice for individuals, for families, and then for the whole community, the high priest every year, Yom Kippur going in and making atonement was all to cover sin. And it all pointed to Jesus and his death on the cross because there's no forgiveness with sin without shedding of blood. So that's the foundation. Now, I want to just um, also establish that sinning is man's choice. Some people say, well, God, you know, allowed it. Or, you know, he gave me these desires. I don't know if you've heard this. It's scary what's going on in the church today. And the pervading um, tolerance that is so exalted in a culture, it goes into every sin. It's like, well, God made me and he loves me, right? Yes. And he gave, and I just feel like this would feel better than just living, being stuck with having to have one, you know, relationship in marriage. I just feel like I would like to have other, like, that's what's happening. This, doesn't God love me and doesn't, and we excuse sin or the compromise. I just want you to see it in um, James one thirteen. I don't think I have this slide, but it says, James says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God does not tempt anyone. It's not okay to sin. For God cannot be tempted with evil, for he himself tempts no one, but each person's tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Can't say God gave me that desire. Cannot say God permitted you to sin. Then desire when it's conceived, when you take the desire in and you, you say, and it bears fruit. It says when desire conceived, it gives birth to sin. That's where you let your desires lead you. You know what they lead you to? Sin. We're the selfish desires. That's why, you know, we're redeemed. We're saved. We're forgiven. But every day, Jesus said, deny yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow me. That's because if we just wake up and go with our feelings and our desires, we will sin. We deny ourselves. Wake up in the morning and say, hey, Todd, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling lazy and tired and lustful and proud and 
Okay, deny that. Deny yourself. Take up that cross. Oh yeah, I died with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, now I'm following a different master, not myself. Where do you want to lead me, Jesus? We have to do that every day. And then desire, when it gives birth to sin, sin, when it's fully grown, brings death. And by the way, here's another caveat. People say, well, how come bad things happen to good people? How come there's Holocaust? How come there's this terrorism and you know, sex slavery and all these terrible things? Another person's sin can bring death to someone else. Because sin gives birth to death. That's why bad things happen. Because people's sin. Another person's sin affects everyone around them. A drunk driver's sin affects somebody they hit. So this is what this message is about, why we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. It frees us from this cycle of death. It frees us from shame and guilt and trying to cover ourselves up. Colossians 2, 13 to 15. This is why does Jesus use the word debt in forgive our debts? I wondered that. How many of you in your Bibles it says forgive our trespasses? Or you're more used to that? Most of you are forgive our debts? Well, the original Greek is debts. Trespasses was a translation um, that Tyndale uh, did when he translated into English. He liked the word trespass, but in the Greek, it's debts. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and circumcision in your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Did you know in the Greek, Greco-Roman world, there was a certificate called the record of debt that you'd be given. And people, if they could not pay off their debts, they would be sold into slavery until their debt was paid. It's a common practice. We don't understand the weightiness of forgiveness of our debts. But they, you remember the parable in Matthew 18 about the king that someone who, one of his servants owed him this huge debt. And the king said, I'm, you're getting sold and all your, your wife and your children are being sold to pay for that debt. There was, um, what is it called? I was looking this up. Oh, debtor's prisons. That's what they were, debtor's prisons. You'd be put in prison until you could pay off your debt. And when in Colossians where he says he nailed it to the cross, that certificate of debt is nailed to the cross. We are free from debt. It's amazing. So look at this, Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. Now I want you to start just receiving the truth. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The word redemption, redeem, means to buy back. God said, I want you back. I'm paying for you, and I'm paying for you. 
You have this huge debt you can't pay. I'm buying you back. Because you would be a, a slave to the debtor's prison unless someone came and said, I'm paying all your debt. You're free. That's the picture. First Peter 1.18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Ransom is when someone's requiring a ransom to, to pay for them. And the feudal ways of our forefathers, the sin that's been passed down, the, the curse from Adam and Eve, God says, I'm paying that ransom. And then, this is amazing. And I, this is miraculous. You've probably, you've, we've all heard this, but I want you to imagine where in Hebrews 8, 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. How could that be possible? But somehow God in his sovereign power chooses to make himself not remember any sins. That's still hard to believe for our, because we know he's omniscient, he's all-knowing. But he's, in his sovereignty, his, this is who he is. He literally forgets all your sins. When you confess, when you receive Jesus, and once for all, Jesus forgives your sins once for all, he doesn't remember them. Now, think about this in a personal way. Think of someone, a teacher, a friend, a coach, a pastor, a, a mother, a father, someone you really highly esteem, you respect, and they love you, and they affirm you, and they champion you. And think about some advice they gave or some you know, thing that they really value, and you messed it up. You went against their advice. You sinned against them. You crushed the trust. You ruined the relationship, or you, you just hurt them so deeply that what you did. Can you imagine this as a person that you highly esteem? And imagine when you said, man, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And imagine this. You knew that from that moment, they never even remembered what you did. The next time you saw them, you're not like, oh, gosh, that's pretty fresh. I totally failed them. I totally lied, cheated. I hurt them so deeply. Hope, you know, you just think, oh, I hope they get over this. I hope I try to show them so much love or I try to obey everything that they love or do everything for them until... I can make it up for them. Do you know that's how we treat God? Can you imagine going to this, your mother who thinks you're the million bucks, and then she saw you just ruin your life or ruin, you know, despise her or whatever it is. But next time you saw her, she didn't even remember it and just treated you like you were perfect still. And you never did any wrong. That's the Father. That's the gospel. We need to experience the gospel more, church. How can we bring good news out there when we're not living the good news in here? Isaiah 118 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though the red is crimson, they'll become like wool. You literally will be like a dark red. It'll be white. 
You are clean. Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgression. To blot something out is like whiteout on a paper, you know? It just covers it. Your transgression is covered. And then he says, I will not remember your sins. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west. I guess east is this way. East is from the west. That's how far he removes our transgressions from us. You cannot, if you keep going east and west, you never see the sin. This is truth. So let me just come into practical application. How do we receive forgiveness? You know, we, you're not saved except for by forgiveness. But the way you got saved was conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be forgiven any other sin except by conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit tell you what sin is and not your condemnation, shame, accusation. It's so important you get this because sometimes we like, oh, God, forgive me. I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible. You're not a terrible person. You're a son and daughter of the king. You're made in his image. Satan's condemnation and accusation is you are terrible. You're a loser. You're a terrible father. You're a terrible mother. You're a terrible this, terrible that. And you just feel yucky. And you don't have any specific sin to repent from or to ask forgiveness for. Because God, forgive me for being a terrible What? That's not sin. Holy Spirit convicts you, and it's something you can confess and you can be forgiven for. So John 16, 8 says, talking about the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Let the Holy Spirit show you what you need to confess. And don't let condemnation and shame dictate your confession. And this is where it gets so powerful because specific things you get specifically freed from. You don't carry the shame of that anymore because it's forgiven. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. So confessing our sins to God when the Holy Spirit convicts you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, you need to confess to your brother or your sister and let them pray for you because that actually brings healing. You know, it, there's pain connected to sin. And sometimes there's trauma and sometimes there's abuse or there's different things we've done to ourselves emotionally, mentally, physically. We need others. And then I just want to... Um, Mention Revelation 12, 10 talks about the accuser of the brethren. Uh, the accuser of the brethren. Um, he's been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. Every day and every night, you're being accused to God from Satan. And he accuses you day and night. And he lets you hear those accusations. So we need the Holy Spirit to know how to confess sin and to get free and we need to confess to one another, but we also need to not listen to the accuser. He condemns. He brings shame. He gets you to sin, and then he shames you for sin sinning. And I want to ask my wife to come up and um, share a testimony. 
Let's hear it for Rachel. Thank you. It's so good to be with you this morning. I'm so excited. My family's here, and I am your biggest fan. <laughs> um, I just, I was stirring. This has been so good to hear again. And um, one thing before I just share something really quick, um, testimony, um, something I just heard recently about the Lord's presence um, we were in Israel, and we heard this. Um, someone was sharing with the youth, with the Arab and Jewish youth that were in worship together. It was amazing. And she said the Lord's presence actually translated in the word when it says his presence is his face. And that is something that just hit me so hard. It's like, you know, when i worshiping in your presence is all I want and all I need, and I just receive that. But actually, no, I see your face right here. He's just right here, his face. And that feels different than just sometimes singing. So every time I sing about his presence, I picture his face before me and his real being right with me. And um, just sharing a testimony about what Todd is speaking, and this also just his face is before us, um, plays into this. But when we were dating, um, I was one that would struggle. If I messed up in any way, I tried so hard to be perfect, to do the right things. Um, growing up my whole life, I have tried, you know, to, to live holy and righteous and not have the need to say sorry. That is how I wanted to be. But growing, and so when we were dating, I um, had done, especially when you do something that you don't intend to hurt anyone, and it does. And the shame and guilt that I would feel would just really, I would beat myself up. You know, and I couldn't get over it. It would lose all my peace and joy, and I was no fun to be around. <laughs> and so that had happened. I was a situation where I had hurt someone um, in a job situation that I was in, and I couldn't get over it. And I was just so mad at myself and so frustrated. And he was driving me home, and he looked over at me, and I'll never forget this. He, he said, um, why don't you just forgive yourself? And I'm like, I, I am. You know, I'm just, I am forgiving myself. I'm just so mad that this happened, and I just couldn't get over it. And he said, wasn't what Jesus did on the cross good enough for that? Did, it, did he not cover that for you? And it, was, and it really hit me. It's like, whoa, what I'm doing right now, I'm saying to him what you did on the cross is actually not good enough for this. I'm still letting the enemy and lies and my pride just work its way and take rob me of my joy, rob me of my peace. And I just, it really, really hit me so hard. I just, I don't know if I started crying, but I was like, okay, that's, that's huge for me because what he did is good enough for everything. It doesn't matter how small. And when we get into that negativity or allow the enemy to come in those ways of just, frustration, beating ourselves up and not receiving the full forgiveness, 
the enemy comes in in any chance he gets, any negativity we carry. He'll come in, he'll land on it, he'll ride it for as long as we let him. And so just releasing that, I've learned how to release it quicker. And, and if it comes back, no, I'm a daughter, I'm covered. You cover me, you see me beautiful, you love me. And just get his pictures, get his face looking right at you. What is he saying to you? And it's, it's been huge. And I still work through things, but it's a lot faster. I don't go for days like that, like I used to. So. Amazing. Yay. So good. I just want to close with this um, scripture out of Hebrews 10. God's word is the final truth. We bank on this, our lives, the future, the whole end times, all creation banks on the word of God. It will live forever. Hebrews 10, chapter uh, chapter 10, verse 12 says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, Single sacrifice for all sins. Passages talking about high priests needing to offer sacrifices year after year. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. There's nothing more he needed to do. There's no more work. All redemption, all power, all forgiveness, all restoration was done when he sacrificed himself. And he's waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool at his feet. Footstool. There's no battle going on. There's no big struggle against Satan. Jesus is sitting in authority. He finished. It is finished. He's just waiting the enemies to become a footstool. That's how stressed he is about the world. World redemption. About defeating Satan and sin. It is finished. Why are we so stressed out? And then this is the verse I want you to remember. If you only remembered one thing all day. Verse 14. For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is you. I don't want you to leave without remembering this. His offering, his death on the cross has perfected you for all time. And by the way, your first thought is, no, I'm not perfect yet. And then he says, for those who are being sanctified. You have two states. One is your position with the Father who cannot have any compromise with sin, perfectly holy. To have intimacy with God, you have to be perfect. You have to. The garden intimacy, the first two chapters of the Bible, are total intimacy because no sin. And no Satan. 
The last two chapters, same. No sin and no Satan. How do we live in intimacy with God between those, the beginning and the end is by us walking with forgiveness. It's the blood that speaks a better word than every curse. And I want to appeal to you. You've, if you have not received Jesus, you've not confessed and given him your life and surrendered to him, to his grace by faith, then you, you have no connection. There's no way you can know God. The only way you can be intimate with God is receiving the free gift of salvation based on the blood and body of Jesus given for you. And it's all for intimacy. It's always been about intimacy. And the way we have intimacy is that you are made perfect forever. So I want you to please stand up. I'm just going to keep reading this. And we're going to close with this. If we want to get um, some background sounds, that's great. But I just want to um, keep reading here. And the Holy Spirit, verse 15 bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant I'll make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. This is his work. He's saying, once you've been forgiven, I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to give you my thoughts. Then he adds... And I'll remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. I believe this morning God wants to break off shame, condemnation, accusation. We were never meant to live with that. But unfortunately, some of us carry that. And like my wife, who's just, you know, she has a pure heart. She wants to do what's right. But that burden of why did I mess up can paralyze us. And it steals our identity. And then he says, where there's forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. We don't need another offering. Therefore, okay, because of all this, this is my commission to you. Therefore, since we have confidence now to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Other translations say boldly enter the throne of grace. We have confidence. Why? Because we're clean. You can, your performance doesn't dictate your ability to access intimacy with God. It's only the blood of Jesus. Some of us think, well, I need to pray and, and fast and I need to do, give money to the poor and then I can run to God. No, you, that's never enough. You can run to God if you've been done nothing. You've sinned. For 10 days straight, you can still run to God because the blood of Jesus is what gives you the access, not your performance. You need to get this. Sometimes like, I didn't confess every sin. That doesn't stop you from going into the throne of grace because when you get there, that's where he says, come to me and you start repenting based on his love. There's no hindrance to the throne. David murdered and committed adultery 
And the next day, you read Psalm 51, he's basically saying, have mercy on me, God, forgive me. And he's running into intimacy. So it says, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through his, the curtain that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, this is the final verse. Let us draw near with a pure heart, a true heart. He's saying, just go in wholehearted. Let your heart lead you in. In full assurance of faith. What's the assurance of faith? That Jesus paid for me. His blood is enough. We need God. This is the point. God longs for us to come near. He's saying, would you draw near to me? Would you believe that I'm good enough that I paid for you? And then he says, with our hearts or our minds, other translations say minds, our hearts sprinkled clean from a guilty or evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So I just believe right now. So that, that language, by the way, is not theological language. We don't all of a sudden get our minds sprinkled with some water and then we're forgiven, right? We're forgiven by the blood of Jesus. We don't have get our bodies washed, bodies washed with pure water, then we're clean from sin, right? He's using language to describe what we feel like. When we, walk, we come to God and we feel this shame and pain of sin and the accusation and anxiety, and he's saying, hey, you boldly enter because of the blood, but now let me just sprinkle water on your, your minds, your hearts that feel so guilty. You feel evil, don't you? Let me just sprinkle some water. You're not evil. There's no guilt. And then your body's washed with pure water. It reminds me, did anybody see, what is the movie Redeemer? or Redeeming Love? Yeah, Gigi loves that movie, and I, it's, I like it too. It's good. But I just, we just watched it the other day. And I don't know if you've seen that, but it was like this prostitute at one point in the film that um, just feels so dirty and she's trying to wash herself and using rocks to just kind of rub her skin like, oh, just feel. Do you, sometimes we feel that just dirty. And God says, I forgive you. You're my son and my daughter. Boldly enter the throne. But then he says, let your body be washed in pure water. You're clean. I want you to feel clean. So can we just open our hands right now? And we just say, Abba, we come to you as sons and daughters. And I ask, would you restore everyone in this room to that identity and the intimacy that are found in the garden? That we'd walk in freedom from shame. We'd walk without trying to cover ourselves up, self-protect to hide our sin, to hide our, our guilt. But Lord, we say this morning, we boldly enter the throne of grace, the holy places, not with the blood of sheep and goats, but because the blood of your beloved son, Jesus. And all the benefits of the cross, all the freedom from shame and pain and guilt and and the iniquity, the results of sin, we just say, thank you, Lord, that you paid for it all. You paid for our freedom. And so I ask this morning, would you come? 
And I pray that everyone in this room would walk out of this room totally cleansed from a guilty conscience. Just right now, between you and God, I just want to encourage you, just say to the Father, Father, I just confess. Anything, Holy Spirit, that you show me, I just acknowledge, yes, that's sin, and I ask forgiveness, and I repent. I'm, I'm turning the other way. I don't want to keep doing that. I ask right now, Holy Spirit, just show anyone in the room anything they need to confess quickly to you. And by the way, it's just, it's not a huge thing. You need to grovel or pull up. Just let, if one thought comes to mind, just say, yep, I agree. I ask forgiveness for that. And, and I'm sorry, I don't, I choose not to continue in that. And now I just want you to open up Again, just, just look to the Father. Those who look to him are radiant. They're never covered in shame. So look up to the Father. And Father, I ask right now, would you just wash guilt and shame away? Lift off any heavy yokes. There are yokes of performance, yokes of religion to try to impress you or please you based on our works. We just renounce that and we take the yoke of Jesus, the yoke that's easy and his burden is light and you find rest for your souls. For he's gentle with you. He's humble with you. Just feel the kindness of the Father. He's longing for you. He's saying, come, boldly run to me. And Lord, I just pray any physical just defilement, any mental neurological defilement, they say like, you know, pornography and different things can mess with your brain. Any emotional defilement from sin, physical defilement, any spiritual curses that unknowingly we've counteracted with. We just, I just say right now, Jesus, you're more than enough. Would you break it off right now in Jesus' name? And would you heal emotions? Would you heal mental effects of sin? And physical effects. Right now I ask for restoration. Now in Jesus name. Receive it. To say I receive the full benefits. Of your forgiveness. The full benefits of the cross. And just lift up your debts to him. Today is a day to say I'm leaving church with no debts. I don't owe God anything. I don't have to perform at all. Can you do that? Just lift up those debts and give them to him. As Paul said, nail them to the cross. Just say, Lord, here it goes. It's on the cross. I don't owe anything. You've paid for everything. In Jesus' name. I just want to end with a blessing. I pray the Lord blesses you and keeps you that he makes his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. That he lifts up his countenance, his face upon you and he gives you his shalom. The name of Jesus, the Messiah, Prince of Peace, I bless you. Amen.